every man, uh, uh, let God be true and every man a liar. <laughs> so it's a good illustration for a parable about God and prayer, not an exact representation of God. You got to get that. or Because, you know, when you read this, you might think, well, what's it saying there? So then verse 3 says, and there was a widow in that city. Now, how many of you today are widows? I married one, but she's not one now because I'm still alive. So, so that means we let's move on because this is about a widow. So, right? You see how that works? He's, God's not saying that Christians are widows, but He's saying that in this instance, the actions of the widow and the actions of the judge are going to teach us something. Don't go beyond that. <laughs> and it says. Uh, and there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. Uh, she, she's not asking him to go kill the guy. Um, to avenge means to provide justice. So, uh, well, if, if she's coming because somebody killed her husband, and that's why she's a widow, then that would be part of the... To avenge her would be to execute the man who killed her husband. But the text doesn't say it's anything like that. And so we just understand she's wanting justice, and that's what parables do. They teach you a general lesson. When you're going to God and you're saying, you know, I need something based on a legitimate need, then you're asking for Him to move on your behalf. We get uh, into trouble when we take matters into our own hands. So lesson number one, <laughs> uh, demonstrate your faith by going to God. Now, there, of course, there's, you, know, you can't just pray, Oh, Lord, we pray that you fill this table with food and fill my empty wallet with nice, crisp $20 bills. <laughs> and God, if He were to speak audible in this day, would say, Get up off your butt and go to work. <laughs> or if you've worked and you're in retirement, you know, go to the mailbox or go to look at your bank account. It's there. Whatever. But God provides. But... He expects you to do your part, amen? You're getting a retirement check, you earned that. But if you hadn't worked all those years, there'd be no retirement check. Amen? amen. Alright. Romans 12, 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Remember what Moses got in trouble for? He was angry, and instead of listening and just speaking to the rock, he smites the rock. Can't go into the promised land. Yep. Now Moses didn't go to hell, but he didn't get that earthly enjoyment of going into the promised land. That's what will happen to us. You won't go to hell. If you're saved, you're saved. But you can lose the reward. Yeah, taking matters into your own hands like that. Why? Well, that's What kind of testimony is that to the, the, the world? I went through something one time and someone came to me and said, man, I don't know how you keep from killing that guy. I said, the Lord's going to take care of it. Amen. Yep. Well, I just believe that. And I can tell you, these many years later, he did. Amen. Now, if that guy would have repented, go read about Ahab. Go read about Asa and Manasseh. Manasseh is better than Asa as, as an example in this case. These guys did terrible things worthy of death probably a hundred times over. But when they repented, God is so merciful. Amen. But if you won't repent, God will avenge. And then verses 4 and 5, and He would not for a while, would not what? Wouldn't avenge her of her adversary. 
But afterward, he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this with me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. That's not saying that if you're a pest, that God will move to answer you so that you'll shut up and stop praying. That's not what it's saying. But that's what this judge does. And so what she did, persist. You're being told, we'll get results. Why? Well, what if you don't persist? Again, God rewards faith. If you don't pray, you're demonstrating that you don't have faith that God's going to answer. If you don't persist, you're saying you've given up on God. Amen? Amen. So persist. (laughs) That's how easy this. It's not God, but it's teaching a lesson, so keep reading. Verse 6. And the Lord, read that with me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And what's he saying? He's saying, Because this widow persisted, she got her answer. Her persistence paid off. Not repetition, not a lot of words, not, uh, you know, not a certain posture. She didn't have to flog herself, she didn't have to send a seed faith offering to the preacher. Uh, you, you may not understand this, but among professing evangelical Christians today, that includes all the charismatic word faith people. It is probably a majority of people who give a tithe, give it to a TV preacher or a big megachurch preacher who is teaching them that they need to give a seed faith offering and then God will reward that offering. Where did Jesus say that? In here. Did she pay off the judge anywhere? I don't see her paying off the judge. Yeah. She demonstrated faith. To pray is an act of faith. That's why when you pray to Mary or the saints or anyone else, your ancestors, it's an act of worship. It's blasphemy. It's idolatry. Don't pray to anybody but the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. You pray any other way, it's idolatry. But you should have faith in God and pray. And that's all you're doing when you pray. People like to overthink prayer. Well, if God knows everything, and He knows what you're going to ask before you ask it, and, and well, why bother praying? You know, if you want to overthink think it and go nuts, go ahead. But let me tell you something. You aren't ever going to understand the mind of God. Anybody, standing in a pulpit or otherwise, claim to understand the mind of God? Cuckoo. Amen. Touched. I mean, think about how crazy that is. Huh? Well, the, yeah, religious organizations and, and denominations, some of them at least, claim the Watchtower, the Vatican, and others claim that. But so, do, so does Fred and Joe down at the bar. <laughs> how many times? I've gone out witnessing somebody whose life is a complete wreck. They're miserable, but they can tell you everything about God. They know the mind of God. I've run into people who say they can't be saved. Why? I'm not one of the elect. How do you know that? I'm not saved. But if you believe the gospel at this moment, you'll be saved. Can't do it. Not one of the elect. <laughs> How do you talk to somebody like that? Yeah. It's really difficult, but all you do is tell well, you're contradicting the Word of God. According to the Bible, God has called on us to preach the gospel to every creature and whosoever will. 
Whosoever will. And that elect thing we're going to come back to in just a second. She demonstrated obedience. Obedience. You say, oh, I have faith. If you have faith, you obey. Amen. To, to have faith is to trust. We sing about it. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Not to be saved. Not to be saved, but to be happy in Jesus. So if you want to live the Christian life and be miserable, don't trust the Lord and don't obey. Amen. And she demonstrated steadfastness. Or persistence is another word for similar. Step and folks, I've been Christian for 30 years. Um, some of you longer than that, sure. But I'm sure most of you, if you've been had your eyes open looking around, you'll you'll agree to some extent with what I'm about to say. But in 30 years, most of the Christians I know have made shipwreck. Yep. Most of the Christians I know, if you don't, then you need to go back and look some of those people up. Yeah. I can tell you about the church I was saved in. Almost 200 people in that church. And if you take all the dead people off of there and look at the people still living, most of them are totally shipwrecked. Fundamental Baptist church. Shipwrecked. Why? All you got to do is get away from the Word. Get away from the Word. You say, what about prayer? You'll keep praying. A lot of people, they still pray. But if you're not praying in the Word, you're praying... Uh, you're, you're praying in God's will. And you're praying out of His will. And that's just going to make you shipwreck. Praying and not being in the Word is like being on a ship and sailing with the wind and not having any way of telling which way you're going. I was telling Jenny, there are people back in the 90s I knew I thought they were so holy. Yeah. So spiritual. Because they pray, pray, pray. They were all about prayer, prayer, prayer. And, you know, and I tried to keep up. You know, I was like, wow, you know, having prayer meetings and special prayer meetings and all this. And I'd go and I'd go and I'd go. But one thing I noticed about almost all of them is they had very little interest in learning the Bible. Yeah, amen. And it confused me because I read in the Bible where a Christian is going to hunger and thirst after his word. Yeah. And these people hungered and thirst for prayer, prayer time. Then I started listening to what they were praying. I realized a lot of what they were praying was not biblical. They were praying things that went against God's Word Down, uh, get down to it. I won't get into all that detail, but I'm just telling you. Well, what happened? One after another through the years, I've watched them go off the deep end except for a couple who got things right and got in the Word. Now, they're, they're still in the Word and still following the Lord. They still pray, but they got into the Word and that was the lifeline. The Word of life. Amen. And so... That's what this lady demonstrates. People read this in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Suddenly they want to become a monk. <laughs> pray without ceasing? How do you do that? Come on now. Use common sense. Uh, you know, let me ask you this. Do you, uh, you, you still eat? You're going to eat lunch, eat dinner. So you're eating and you're not ceasing. But you're not eating all day long or you wouldn't be able to fit through the door. Amen? Yes. That's all that means. It doesn't mean you pray every waking moment. I've heard people try to you know, come up, well, it's an attitude of prayer. Well, that's a great idea. But that's not what that's saying. That's saying to pray without ceasing. Don't ever stop praying. But there's po points in time during your day where you've got to concentrate on what you're doing. You know, you've got you know, you to sleep. 
you have to have conversations with people. And, you know, I, I know a guy who claimed he, he had developed the ability to talk to people and still be praying while he's talking to them. <laughs> and he's trying to show how spiritual he was. But that's not what that's saying. But that's saying keep praying, keep persisting, pray when you need to, when you ought to, and don't ever stop. That's it. Don't make this too complicated. He's just saying pray when you should. Pray when you need to. And don't stop. And if you will listen to that advice, I wish I had, because this tortured me for a number of years when I was a baby Christian. I thought there's something wrong with me. Thirty years later, I realized, well, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with me. But... <laughs> Ephesians, right. Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. That's all great if you understand what it's saying. Be a prayer warrior. Yes, pray when you need to, pray when you ought to, and never cease to do so. Amen? Amen. Don't overthink it. And that's what people do. They kill their prayer life by overthinking it. Just do it. And Christians were saying that way before Nike. Note now, we have looked at the general application of this text. And most of the sermons that I've ever heard, I have to actually say all but a couple, never go beyond this, and they ought to. And uh, only one really got to the gist of the matter. So now we see the part ignored and or distorted regarding this text. Remember the context. Remember the context. Look at, back at Luke 17. If you're in Luke 18, just look back a page. Mine, I don't even have to turn the page. Uh, Luke 17, 24. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of the one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in His day. What's that? The second coming. The, the context hasn't changed from what we were studying in Luke 17. We're still talking, Jesus is still talking to Jews under Mosaic law in the 69th week about the 70th week. Now, we found out later that the Holy Spirit has uh, revealed that we have this parentheses. If it, it, it ended in the, the 69th week was when Messiah was cut off, 30 A.D. Now, if Jesus had returned in 40, 50, 60, 70 A.D., then the, the church dispensation gap between 69 and 70 weeks would have been like this. But as time has gone on, the Lord keeps tearing and tearing, and we're up to 2,000 years, so it looks a little more like this, Right? How many days is that from God's perspective? One. Two days. Two. Two thousand. Yeah, a thousand years is one day. So two thousand is how many days? Two days. Two days. In Hosea, we studied a few uh, months ago, but Hosea said after how many days? Two, that he would raise Israel back in a, as a nation under him as king. After two days. So we think of 2,000 years. Whoa, that's a long time. God's like, this is two days ago. <laughs> and then that 70th week starts. It goes back to the 69th week. Back to Mosaic Law. Back to keeping the Sabbath. Back to 
Everything under, they're going to build a temple. They're going to attempt to have animal sacrifice just like the 69th week. Why? This is the church, and when the 70th week begins, the church is out of here, gone. Now look, verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Again, that's referring to the time of tribulation when Jesus returns at the end. Look at verse 28, how it begins. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. We studied that, and we found that it's like Sodom and Gomorrah, like it is now, and we're looking at the end times being just as it, uh, Jesus said it would be whenever this time of tribulation hits. And it'll get worse right up to the time He returns at the second coming. And then verse 30, in that day, what day? But it's the day of what? Of His return. That's the context. It hasn't changed. The chapter headings, I'm just telling you, don't let them throw you. I love them. I'm glad they're there. I'd never be able to find my way around the Bible if I couldn't go to chapter uh, chapter 18, verse 6. And I had to just open up the whole book of Luke and go through it until I found where I was going. So I'm thankful. I love the chapter uh, verse uh, headings and the verse numbering. But don't let it throw you. The context has not changed. Amen. So in verse 7, well, you understand now why he says this. In verse 7 he says, And shall not God avenge His own elect, which cry day and night unto Him, though He bear long with Him? Now, the, especially our Calvinist friends will try to make that the church. There's no church here. Amen. There's no church even in existence at the time Jesus is speaking right now. And there's no church during the time of tribulation leading up to the second coming of Christ. So who's the elect? Well, that first of all is who the widow represents technically. Technically, the widow represents the elect Israel. See? Generally, all believers can learn from that. The Bible, not all the Bible is written to you, but all the Bible is written for you. See? So who is this elect? I already said there's no church yet. Scripture with Scripture. Let's go over to Isaiah. I'm going to try to make this quick, but Isaiah 45. That's, this is why what you're seeing, what I'm showing you right now, you may not think is important, but it is. This is why the Bible is a closed book to most professing Christians. They don't, they don't pay attention to the context. They don't understand who is even being spoken to. And they don't understand that there's times where we can draw good information, good spiritual lessons, but it still doesn't change the fact it's not written exactly to us. And then Isaiah 45, verses 1 through 4, Thus saith the Lord to His anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before Him, and I will loose the loins of kings. Uh, that was fulfilled. Daniel 5-6 with Belshazzar. He messed his pants. To open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. Verse 2, I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in center the bars of iron. He's talking about a Gentile here as an anointed because he's being used for God's purposes. Cyrus, in verse 1, and that was about 100 years before Cyrus is even born. Then verse 3, And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of who? Now read verse 4. For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. 
I have surnamed thee, thou, though thou hast not known me. Amen. Who's the elect? Israel. And you will see in almost every case, if it's not talking about, there's a few places talking about Jesus. There's a couple places talking about His elect angels. But most of the other references are Israel. Amen. Uh, Matthew 24 then, comparing what we just read. You go over to Matthew 24. And what I'm teaching right now is one of the most important things you ever learn in the Bible if you don't want to be cross-eyed and get messed up in your Bible study. Matthew 24, and, it, and, and it's, like I said, you go look up all the preaching and commentaries on what we just studied with the unjust judge and it's rarely even mentioned. Yeah. It's a fact. Matthew 24, verse 16. Then let them which be in where? Flee into the mountains. Who lives in Judea? Jews. Jews. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. That was that was in Luke 17. He talked about how they'd be uh, uh, not even have time to go into the house and grab some anything. Just get out of there. Uh, verse 18. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. Uh, and woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. Now read verse 20 with me. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Who's keeping Sabbath? The Jews. Today there's some fake Sabbatarians, the Seventh-day Adventists and others, who pretend to keep the Sabbath. They're not keeping the Sabbath biblically. And uh, they would all be stoned to death within a year if they were under the Mosaic Law, the way they keep Sabbath. It's all pretend. Who really keeps the Sabbath? The Jews. So this whole context is telling you that this, when he's talking about the great tribulation period that we're reading about in Luke 17 and 18, it's about Israel, the Jews. Verse 21, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now read 22 again. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And there are people who would teach this and say that that proves there's Christians in the tribulation because there's the elect. And if all you have to do is check them out and read the context and you'll see it's talking about Jews in Judea who are keeping the Sabbath. And that's who the elect is. See that? This text is specifically directed at Jewish believers in the coming tribulation. And then verse 7 then makes sense when you read, And shall not God avenge His own elect? Who? The Jews in the tribulation in Israel. Which cry day and night unto Him. What did He say? Pray that your flight not be in Sabbath. They're crying out in prayer in the tribulation. As I pointed out in Luke 17, our study, this is the situation in Revelation 12 with Israel. And the woman did what? Pray that you're not fleeing on the Sabbath in Matthew 24. Same thing, different chapter, different author, same author, capital A. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she hath a place prepared of God that they should feed her there. A thousand two hundred three score days. That happens to be in the Jewish calendar three and a half years. The last half of the seven year tribulation. So the general message of prayer is true, but don't ignore the actual context. Go over to Revelation 6. We're going to close it up here, I believe. But Revelation 6. 
If you can't keep up, write these down and do a little study later. But Revelation 6, 9, and 10. Again, people will try to say this to the church. It says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Now, again, the chapter 7 doesn't stop the context. And in chapter 7, verse 4, if you're there, look over there. Read verse 4. Who is he talking about? And I heard, read it with me, and I heard the number of them which were sealed, and they were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Say it again. Israel. One more time. Israel. <laughs> Can't miss it, can you? Look at 13 and 14, same chapter. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of what? And have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The 144,000, the Jewish believers, right there in the context. 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 So we close in verse 8. And Jesus says, and all makes sense now when Jesus is talking. I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. How many times you read in Revelation, Behold, I come quickly. But it's been 2,000 years. It's been two days. Amen. Behold, I come quickly. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? I'm going to close it up if you don't mind. We're getting, I don't want to push too far. The fact is, not much. Shall he find faith on the earth? Not much. What if he came right now as far as the rapture is concerned? Is he going to find much? People say, oh, there'll be a billion people disappear the rapture. Not you know, on your life. 